There are so many digital frustrations that are common and costly. And the survey found that most respondents had been frustrated. So 64% had been frustrated sometime or struggled in the last six months. And 77% said they would abandon a transaction, right? So the problem is big. And then once they leave, 60% said they would not be likely to return. So problem space is really big, but only 12% of consumers said they are very likely to share feedback when a digital error occurs. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. The bar has been raised on the digital experience. As a result, we're seeing a lot of brands and retailers find ways to improve and innovate through their e-commerce sites. But sometimes figuring out where to focus your time and your resources feels a bit daunting, right? There are so many cool tech out there, so many cool features out there. It's sometimes a challenge to figure out where to prioritize. That's where data can play a really powerful role. To truly figure out how that works, how to integrate data into day-to-day workflows, and what new trends and opportunities exist, I wanted to sit down with some folks who live and breathe this every day. So I sat down with Kirsten Newbold-Knipp, CMO of Full Story, as well as Elizabeth Simmer, the company's head of onboarding and professional services. Now, these two ladies together pack a very powerful punch because Kirsten, a CMO, has a really fantastic outlook on broader retail trends, customer experience, and of course, Elizabeth has fantastic firsthand knowledge and accounts of real life examples. So we got into it all. The power of data, common customer experience challenges and pain points, and what low-hanging fruit opportunities exist for brands and retailers to improve. The key takeaway from this all, empathy is key. Listen in. Kirsten, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be here today. Well, we have a lot of exciting topics and trends to get into, but first, let's kind of start with a bit of background. For those who don't know, can you share a little bit about Full Story and the work that you do with brands and retailers? Absolutely. So Full Story is a DXI or digital experience intelligence platform, and we help deliver insights to brands that basically need to perfect their digital experiences. That sounds sort of big and broad, but what it really means is that retailers of all sizes and shapes, B2B, B2C, brands like from Lucky Vitamin to FDD Lowe's or HBC Sachs use our software to look at what's happening on their websites and their mobile apps to figure out what's working and what's not. Uh, Ultimately, why do they use us? It's to increase revenue, to reduce costs through everything that ranges from targeted conversion optimization insights to speeding the finding and fixing of of costly bugs. What I think is really interesting to note, and it'll probably come out in our conversation later, is the way that we think of the world sort of diverges a little bit from what retailers used to do. I think historically, they tended to use tools like Adobe and Google Analytics which are wonderful tools, but they really show you kind of what's happening, where customers are dropping off, 
but they don't tell you why. And for why customers have historically filled out a survey. But if I'm like you, then we probably know most people don't. Salesforce actually noted that only 91% of people who are unhappy with an experience just leave without saying a word. They don't fill out a survey. So as a DX ad platform, we ingest all interaction data across these different digital experiences to recreate customer journeys anonymously to see not just what happened, but why. And since we do that over hundreds of thousands of sessions, we can see patterns that might indicate a bug or an issue to resolve, or an opportunity to seize. And then we are able to assess conversion and revenue impact so that retailers can prioritize what they they need to tackle. To put a fine point on it, maybe I'll give one or two examples. And these are the kinds of things that Elizabeth is working with our customers worth on a daily basis and where her team really dives in. But there's sort of these behaviors that maybe you didn't expect or anticipate. A really good example is, and I don't know, Alicia, if you've ever had this experience, but you go to a website and you click and nothing happens. So you click again nothing happens. And then you click five times fast and still nothing happens. We call that a rage click, right? You are just clicking with this rage. Um, we actually trademarked that, that concept because it happens all the time. There's rage clicks, there's errors clicks, there's all kinds of things that suggest that maybe the image is too small. Maybe it looks like a button, but it's not. These things that seem innocuous in nature, but can actually create massive issues in conversion. Now that's sort of a very simple example, all the way to a really, to me, a very fascinating example. One of our customers, that's a very large home improvement retailer. They use data during COVID that they surfaced. They identified that a bunch of consumers were buying those garage mats, you know, that are like the kind of sticky mats. And they thought, huh, why are garage mats going off the shelf? And then they went back into some of our both pattern matching, but also session replay data. And they saw that people were creating home gyms, right? So what did they do with that? Major opportunity. They created a new merchandising category and found a way to both bring in new product, but also put promotions in place so that Alicia gets a home gym and that could really increase their engagement with our customers. So a lot of different ways that people apply it. That's roughly what we do in the scheme of DXI. Fascinating, super relevant, and super, I think, valuable for several areas of the organization. So I know a lot of retailers are thinking about user experience just because of new Google tracking processes, like how they're assessing site performance, site experience that impacts rankings now. But customers have always, like your point around the rage clicking, customers have always paid close attention to those subtle nuances in in the online experience. And it does make an impact. I probably have rage clicked more than I care to admit. So that definitely resonated. But I'm sure you have uncovered so many new insights about the shopper, how they go through the site experience, what they now expect, what drives those points of frustration, even especially over the past year, because we have seen this surge in digital behaviors. So, I mean, what have you found consumers wanting or expecting most from digital experiences? Like, have there been any significant differences lately? You know, it's interesting that I would say is that while there's been a lot of attention on the kind of acceleration of digital adoption across all sectors, doesn't really matter what business you're in, but retail, especially, um, there's one thing we hear over and over again, and it kind of comes back to some of the basics in a way, what consumers want most from a great digital experience is simply the ability to easily accomplish what they came to do. 
And that definitely resonates with me. Sometimes, right, once you get down to the nuances, it gets really differentiated. But we recently conducted a consumer survey of about 1,500 consumers. It was kind of April, May timeframe. So very, very current. And eight out of 10 people cited easily accomplishing what I came to do as their number one thing that they wanted. There were a few other basics. They also bubbled up less prevalent than 80%, but 63% said they wanted their data and information to be private and secure. So that goes back to this topic of cookies and the like, and all of the things that are in the news, they don't expect broken links or errors on a page. Again, it seems really basic, but the fact that 50% talked about that suggests that we're not doing a great job. We probably have a lot of broken links and errors. And then finally, particularly as it pertains to retail, they want the transaction process to be intuitive, right? And that sort of points out to us that to be successful, retailers have to pay attention, not just to what is happening, but most importantly, the context and the reasons for consumer behavior. And that's what's going to allow them to meet those digital expectations. Even as simple as they may seem, we're still not kind of meeting the mark. So that's what we need to do to drive loyalty and revenue. Yeah, it's very interesting because in our world, we're hearing so much about personalization, rich content, all of these wonderful things, don't get me wrong, that are designed to improve that user experience. But hearing that data that you just shared, it seems like we're missing out on focusing on those fundamentals. Am I getting that right? Or are retailers and brands prioritizing the right things? Are they shifting their investments to focus on those fundamentals? Like, I guess I'm trying to understand the urgency or response on behalf of the retail and brand world. Yeah, so I'll chime in there. We're definitely seeing people respond and make those changes. And especially in the last 18 months, the acceleration of digital maturity has picked up. And that means different things for different companies, right? So a small brick and mortar types retailer for them, that's just figuring out the way to even sell things online, right? Like just even what does that process look like where that was stripped away with COVID, that dependency on people coming in, now they have to do all of that online. There are some that have that established digital operation, but for them, that's improving the process. So are users able to register through journeys? Are they able to make it through those checkout funnels easily? And then for, of course, like more advanced companies that have been focusing on that, they're shipping features faster. And so those opportunities to introduce bugs and introduce confusing flows, those, those increase as well. And so being able to, like as Kirsten highlighted, for customers to be able to find those right products, get the right information, complete those purchases, whatever else they want to do, like there's much more opportunity to get it right and get it wrong. Another thing we're seeing a, a lot of people invest in recently is journey optimization. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in some more examples, but retailers are, are seeing not direct paths happening on their site, right? And so they're trying to figure out where can we intervene at either points of friction with some in-app messaging or through cross-channel follow-up to help improve those conversion rates. That focus, also there's an opportunity there for delivering highly localized and tailored content. And, and you talked about that a little bit with the personalization and we're seeing that as well. But even just even being able to compare cohorts uh, of users and understand how are the behaviors of new users, first time on the site, maybe first five sessions ever on the site, how does that behavior differ from someone who's been back 
30 plus times, right? We all have our sites that we could navigate and buy something in under a minute. Like we know how to do it. We know how to load the cart and check out. And then, you know, the experience is different when you're on a retailer for the first time and you're trying to figure out how do I give them my money? And that's what they're trying to speed up, right? How do I make it easier? The last big trend I've seen for retailers is just getting DXI platforms, something like Full Story, as a cornerstone in their modern tech stack. So retailers replatform and reimagine their tech stack. DXI provides essential data that informs things like new home pages or navigation paths or site redesigns. It really helps add color to not just the what, but the why. And then pair with that rich revenue data that helps you then understand the impact of those friction points, then you can prioritize and knock them out and improve the digital experience for our end users. I'd love to jump in there with, um, I think, an example of what Elizabeth just alluded to, this idea of kind of using DXI data as a foundational element in digital transformation. We are fortunate to have a customer in FTD, and they're a pretty interesting example of this last trend because you might not think about them in this way, but they're actively, and if you were to go look in the media, their CEO, their CTO, they're talking about it all the time. They're a brand that's re-engineering right now for the digital age. FTD was actually a tech company when they started, which I don't think of, but they were founded over a hundred years ago, essentially as a wire service. And then they were a wire service that took advantage of this data and this, this capability to now wire floral orders all over the country. And that was really innovation at the time. And what they're trying to do is sort of return to that origin of innovation spurred by this new executive team that's reimagining their infrastructure to create value for their floral partners and create delightful experiences. One of the first steps that they took as they were doing this replatforming was to implement full story, but what they really wanted here was the digital experience intelligence to allow them to smoothly implement all these new capabilities that they were integrating into their stack. As you can imagine, replatforming means maybe 10, 20 new technologies. And Elizabeth mentioned, yeah, you could accidentally break a basic that was doing great things for a customer. And this was like an insurance policy for them. So by understanding not just the what, right, the analytical data, but really the insights and the behavioral data at scale, FTD is able to remove those friction points in the journey and provide that best experience while they're really accelerating their rapid rate of change, which I thought was just so compelling in terms of how we'd heard about balancing those challenging priorities. Yeah, that's a really powerful example. And it seems like overall, just based on your experiences with um, other customers, that example that you just shared around FTD, seems like there's this mission towards making it as easy as possible for consumers to have the journey that they want, whether it's intentionally finding something, they already have something in the back of their head that they want to find quickly and easily, or even if it's more of a discovery-based experience, enabling them to do that in the best, most effective and relevant way possible. So it seems like we have some good alignment there with what consumers were saying that they wanted. But based on the research, based on your conversations, have there been any points of misalignment or any things that consumers said they wanted, but retailers have maybe misinterpreted or misunderstood what those needs are, or maybe like their priorities were completely elsewhere and, it, and it's kind of required a pivot in focus? Yeah, I think that's a super important question. And to your point, right, someone like FTD is doing a great job at meeting all those basics and they're actually going above and beyond too. But there's a lot of brands that sort of stop there. And there's this important trend that we bubbled up. I think it was 64% of consumers said that they 
they thought data privacy was really important, right? And this idea of how to deliver an amazing experience while also respecting consumers' concerns around privacy is really tricky. And I would say retailers are definitely thinking about it a lot, but it seems as though they don't have most of the answers. Um, I was on a panel recently with about 20 retail executives, and and we all sort of looked each other in the eye and and said, do you feel like you're doing a great job at this? And and no one could really raise their hand, which is, is really interesting. So it's a kind of known area of risk where marketing and merchandising in particular could become disconnected from consumer expectations and where, you know, I like to think that DXI tools, things like us, we can offer a really important bridge. And the idea here is, right, knowing your customer has never been more important, right? But in this digital age, we've gotten accustomed to amassing knowledge about Elizabeth and Alicia, specifically who you are, through third-party cookies, social content, all the purchase data you can get and more. But Apple's changing its policies. Third-party cookies are disappearing. And that means consumers are more attuned to this than ever. It's in our everyday, right? Whether you listen to NPR or watch Fox, it doesn't really matter. You're being made aware of what's out there. So with those increased privacy demands, I think businesses and retailers in particular have the opportunity to evolve. And interestingly, right, think about how they can focus on first-party data, data that we've agreed, right? We agree we have a relationship and we agree there's a value exchange, And then also to think about patterns of behavior, right, to achieve those better business outcomes. The data ecosystem is really maturing. And if you think about, right, ML, AI, they might be buzzwords, but they also are real in that if you look at tens of thousands of interactions of behavior, you can understand where something bad is happening without having to know that it's Alicia or Elizabeth that it's happening to. You can really identify those patterns of behavior that give you the opportunity to meet those expectations, to identify points of friction, to identify opportunities that might be revenue generating and not be so reliant on purely right third-party data that people are less comfortable giving you. So to me, it all comes down to this concept that number one, there's got to be a value exchange between a consumer and the retail brand. But number two, retailers should start leaning into patterns as opposed to just individual data as well. Yeah, that's a really fascinating point. And I think there is also something to be said too about digging into actual behaviors and seeing the friction points, seeing the journey in action. Because I know one thing that we always talk about in our editorial and content world is, you know, when when research takes place and it's a consumer survey, we always have that question of like, okay, this is a good data point, but just because a consumer says they're going to do it, like, is that something that they're consistently going to be doing? Is something always going to be integrated into their consideration set? Because we're, we're complex creatures, right? So I think, you know, combining that first party explicit insight or explicit data with the implicit, like what they're actually doing, that kind of allows you to paint that really powerful picture. And I love that point around privacy because it is very top of mind right now. I do have to ask to that end, Kirsten, was that point, like how high ranked that privacy point was, did that surprise your team at all? Because I know that just in my circle of friends and family members, like they're more attuned to it, but I I never know if that's just like the general consensus of where we're at as a society that like everyone just knows how data collection works, how it's used. Was that a surprising finding for you? Were there any other 
findings from the research that you were like, oh, like I didn't even know that this was a concern for consumers right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think in our heart of hearts, not totally surprising because it is so much a topic in the media these days. I wish we had, and soon, soon we will have, we'll do this survey again in a couple of years. I wish we had longitudinal data to actually track how it behaved sort of over the years. But certainly if you look at things like Edelman Trust Barometer and some of these other third-party resources that have been around for a really long time, certainly consumers are more and more attuned. So not totally surprising and perhaps really nice that it got elevated in a way that we can talk about it more proactively with retailers. I think the thing that surprised us most, and I'll, I'll jump into a couple of the key findings overall, but to me, the most surprising and important finding is that brands are often unaware of the challenges that consumers are feeling. And they don't really have a good way to identify them. It sort of goes back to this old way of collecting data. When it comes down to what consumers said, there are so many digital frustrations that are common and costly. And the survey found that most respondents had been frustrated. So 64% had been frustrated sometime or struggled in the last six months. And 77% said they would abandon a transaction, right? So the problem is big. And then once they leave, 60% said they would not be likely to return. So Problem space is really big, but only 12% of consumers said they are very likely to share feedback when a digital error occurs. And very to me is actually, that's them leaning in, right? I used to be in hospitality and as a former leader in that space, I can definitely attest to the fact that only your most loyal or your most angry customers proactively give you feedback, right? The large majority simply never come back. So relying on voice of customer data or simple and basic analytics is really, really risky because even when they do provide feedback, it's pretty manual. It's pretty time consuming. And that really comes back down to the fact that for retailers to be successful, they have to pay attention to not just what is happening with their customer's experience, but the context and the reason and understanding how those journeys play out. That's the only way that brands can exceed those digital expectations. I'll chime in with an anecdote on that one. My team works with customers from Full Story all the time, and I can't tell you how many times we've searched for a specific friction point, like abandoning a login form or abandoning a cart, and then taking the time to dive in and watch the sessions. And you've felt it. I've done it before where you start to put in your password and you get the red text, (laughs) password's not correct. Like, great. Yep. Ah. Try again. <laughs> no, we can't see the password they're putting in. We just see that they're struggling. We see it's painful to watch, but it is empathy building because you watch them struggle and then you see them leave and the session ends. And like nine times out of 10, these leaders at these retail companies will look at us and say, well, where'd they go? Like the session's not over. Surely they got in. And we're like, no, that that's it. They're done. That was your chance. And they've moved on. And at some point they created an account, but they couldn't anymore. And it's just really, for me, fascinating to watch leaders at these retail companies have their minds broadened to see what it really feels like for those customers when they hit those friction points. Because naturally, they're not designed for that, right? They've designed it to be a, a flow that works, but watching when it doesn't work is illuminating. Yeah, no, I've had personal experiences like that where, you know, I'm trying to just get something done and then it's like too arduous. I don't remember the password. Resetting it takes too much time. I don't have time for it. I'm going to be honest. So I just abandon it altogether. Sometimes I go back to it, but not always. So I think it really speaks to, you know, a point made earlier that these journeys aren't always 
linear, which I think overall the industry knows that that's a reality now. Sometimes there are significant gaps in time between those journey stages, depending on the context of the consumer. And it's all about like coming up with these different scenarios, right? Of like, okay, like what could be a possible friction point? How can we respond to that? So I know we've, we've talked about a few different scenarios and anecdotes throughout our conversation thus far, but I mean, what are some low hanging fruit opportunities for retailers to take those moments? Like the password problem, right? To really make these incremental improvements to their digital experiences and start to remove those friction points. You know, I think I'll touch on something here and then maybe ask Elizabeth to lean in with some specific examples too. But I think when we think about what those low hanging fruits are, it's really taking advantage of specific types of signals that we can identify in any digital experience. And to our point, they may or may not have to be complicated. Rage clicks is one of them. Error clicks is another. There are a variety of what we literally in our offering call signals, but there are even things like pinch to zoom. Pinch to zoom is something that is new that we've introduced. And if you think about what people are trying to do, maybe on a mobile phone, not even in an app experience, but mobile web, pinch to zoom to me means it's too small, (laughs) right? I can't see what am I supposed to be doing here? And again, low hanging fruit is just knowing that these things are happening at scale. So the way that we think about all of these different signals, these highlights, et cetera, is that we actually can surface them in the platform kind of in priority order, right? If it only happens once, do you care? If a tree falls in a forest, who knows, right? But if it happened 5,000 times, that probably means something, but relative to other things that maybe happen 50,000 times, how do you think about it? So I know I'd love to have Elizabeth share some of the ways that she and, and clients work together on these types of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. We have a specific section of our full story product that's called conversions, and it's all about surfacing those opportunities to improve conversion rates. The power of it is full stories looking across multiple sessions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of sessions, and looking for the signals that are in common with those that didn't convert. Kirsten mentioned some of them, but I'll just kind of talk through what are some of those signals that we could plug in essentially into this conversions module to understand what's impacting conversions. The first are those frustration clicks, right? The rage clicks. We've talked a little bit about error clicks, but that's when you're clicking on something and there's an error in the JavaScript console. So maybe not visible to the user, but sometimes you you can take an action on a page that just gets you in a weird state and it might impact you downstream. So maybe two, three minutes later when you're checking out, you'll get that like error message that means nothing to you of like invalid XO. And you're like, oh no, I've broken this website. <laughs> that's an error click or a dead click, right? So a dead click is when a user is clicking on something that they think is clickable. Oftentimes it's in the top left and it looks like a logo and people are using that to get home or to reset or to find their way back kind of to the front of the store essentially. And if that isn't actually a button that brings you back to your home page, it'll show as a dead click. And that signal to product teams that their users are, are lost in the process. But really those are signals that they're trying to do something but struggling to complete the action, pretty simple. We have some that talk about just frustration about performance or layout. So those are things like refreshing a page manually. So oftentimes this has to do with page performance. We've all been on kind of bad sites where we're hoping we're watching it load slowly. And as that happens, what's happening is our trust is eroding in that brand. So we're thinking, is this a reliable place for me to submit my information online and give my money to? 
if they can't load a page quickly, will they deliver the product quickly? Like, will it be what I expected? And so those are those frustrations with performance that show through either a refreshed page or even a thrashed cursor. Like I've lost my way. It's too cluttered. You think about your in-person experience. There are retailers that you walk into and you feel calm because of the layout of the store and you feel relaxed. And then there's places where you're like, I'm going to have to hunt for a deal. And you feel that on a website as well. And so that thrashed cursor is sometimes a signal of like, I don't know where I'm going and I've lost my way. Kirsten mentioned the zoom in and zoom out, but that's a big one as well, just for like, this is hard to read. And then the one I alluded to with the password example is uh, those error messages, right? So you type in your phone number and it gives you the error message. You didn't include the dashes. And I'm like, come on, help me out. You know, like, I don't have time for dashes. (laughs) I got something to do. (laughs) It's a phone number. Exactly. And so those are things that engineers, when they're building those form elements, assume the users are going to know the, the context of how they want it. But those are all just causing friction to that process, right? And so product teams are designing the digital experience to follow an intended path to success, right? They're thinking about come to the homepage or land on a product page, make an easy to find add to cart button, and then go through the process. But there are subtle nudges throughout a conversion funnel where users are possibly distracted or prompted with other things. And and they can get, they can veer off that intended path and they can explore a digital store in an unexpected way, just like you would in real life. And so when we watch sessions of this or see this aggregated over large amounts of data, we see those veers off paths, right? And that's why a tool like Full Story is so powerful because it allows those product teams to understand which of these potholes or signals or veers off path are impacting conversion rate. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes it's, okay, I'm engaging with content in a way I hadn't intended before. And then sometimes it can be distracting. One company found that every time that their users landed on their blog, they they were lost forever because it was too engaging. <laughs> like they were, they were just too distracted by the blog content. And they were like, that wasn't the point. We're working closely with a big fitness equipment retailer. And they found a, a trend of users who were coming to their package page. So they had their products kind of packaged together in like, you need these three things. And so you could easily just add it to cart. They had designed it to be easy. Click add the entire package and it, all three things add to your cart. But what they found was on that page, users weren't clicking add the entire package. They were clicking on the product categories, trying to break it out, trying to buy just the individual product or see them individually, but it wasn't working. And so it showed up as a dead click. And so the product team, they just had never envisioned that path. They had never expected a user to land on a package and want to get to those individual products. Um, And they weren't possible and they showed as dead clicks. And so Full Story surfaced that, They were able to change the wording and change the copy on the page, create some links so that those paths were possible. And then they were able to give users the ability to compare those packages with the individual project products and more easily translate it to an overall increase in their conversion rate. Really powerful example. And Elizabeth, I think you made a really good point that on the surface, these decisions are made with the best intentions, right? Like, how can I make this experience better? How can I make it more, whether it be engaging or more turnkey, right? Like we even said at the beginning of the conversation, consumers wanna be able to shop and buy things as easily as possible. You would think product bundles, that makes it easy. But it's funny how the data actually shows that it in the end creates a friction point. So I think that the key takeaway there is don't get discouraged when there are those moments where you thought you had this novel idea to make your experience better. 
sometimes what people ultimately experience may be a little bit different. And that's just kind of the nature of, I think, successful e-commerce needs to be like, right? Listen, learn, respond, and continue to adapt over time. But I do want to go to kind of an adjacent point, I guess, to this, because the Zoom, the dead clicks, the errors, all frustration points for everyone, I think. Sometimes those issues come together, like I've had to zoom in order to click a button and the button still didn't click right. But it's also a very top of mind issue, I think, for web teams, design teams that want to create more inclusive web experiences, right? And that's something that I've been doing a lot of research on because there are requirements, you know, in order for people to be able to browse websites, consume content, get information they need, even if they do have disabilities. So, I mean, has this been a consideration set for brands and retailers? Is this something that they think of when they have conversations with you around user experience and UI? Is that concept of inclusivity kind of coming to the fold at all? I think it comes to the forefront in a different way sometimes, right? There's a recognition that whether it is the basics that the W3C requires, right? That like, what must you do to be accessible versus what could you and should you do if you zoom out Those tend to be two different things. We do actually work a lot with combinations of PM, product management, and UX teams. I think a lot of the UX teams inherently have those intents devised in their process. But what I think is the most interesting is that no matter how well-intentioned, as you said, there are always blind spots in these experiences, right? Designers, as brilliant as they may be, they craft their sites and apps based on research based on their own sometimes unintentionally biased worldview. And the only way to actually create that inclusive experience is to kind of walk a mile in your customer's shoes. One of our watchwords is empathy. And the reason that is the case is because until you do understand what is happening, or at least get some context, we may never be able to perfectly understand someone who is hard of hearing or has limited sight But if we can actually observe trends in behavior where a certain group or a certain pattern is happening, we can more quickly identify those things. So it kind of goes back again to that understanding both context and intent. Where are they coming from, right? What kind of device are they using? Are they using a screen reader? Are they using different types of devices that might imply certain things? And what is their goal so that you can create a more human, a more empathetic experience that is ultimately more effective. So one of the things certainly that DXI as a category offers is this ability to improve those experiences based on on nuances and surface those issues, right? Is there a certain customer segment experiencing friction with a form, with nav, with input? And one of the things that we provide, right, is segmentation capabilities so that you can look at it by device, by region, by geo, Again, I don't need to know that it's Elizabeth or it's Alicia, but I do need to know that it is 50% of the people from this particular area. And if I have first-party data that is trusted data between me and that consumer, I may even be able to tie it back to loyalty program information or other demographic information that, that I've been given and been trusted with. Is there something less intuitive for a shopper based on that information, based on their background, based on the language, age? So our signals have surfaced those user challenges like pinch to zoom in a mobile experience. And, and the beauty is that what these insights really do is they over, uncover those unknown unknowns, right? The things that we couldn't have intended to design for because we just don't know. So I think 
when I hear what customers are doing, it's really that by intention, they seek to design inclusively, but there is an ongoing realization that they may not know all the answers and they may not have all the context. So being open to those unknown unknowns that a PM or a designer hasn't realized before, and then quickly pivoting, right? To your point, everything in e-commerce is not about being static and being all the same. It's what can you learn and where can you make it more inclusive depending on that person's context. So many great points there. So that begs a bigger question, I think. You know, we've talked a lot about the value of DXI, understanding the context and intent of consumers, and finding ways to make those improvements big and small. But I always wonder how these fantastic solutions, these strategies can be implemented in the day to day, right? Because I know sometimes I have the best intentions of looking at, in my case, content performance and applying it. Sometimes we get caught in the day-to-day, right? We focus on getting the things done, getting the things shipped, getting the things launched. So do you provide any guidance, I guess, to companies as far as implementing DXI, but also creating workflows to best optimize this data? And if so, what does that look like? I'm sure it does vary from company to company and how it's structured and everything, but are there any core fundamental best practices to ensure that okay, if we decide to invest in this, that it is going to be used and it's going to be applied by the right people. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the success of my team is is this happening, right? And so this is something we live and breathe all day long with our customers is making sure that they're able to get the value out of their DXI platform, but also that it's connected to those day-to-day workflows because schedules happen, days happen, and then all of a sudden things that we thought were high priority are on the back burner, just like you described. So some of the ways that we keep iteration and ongoing improvement in those workflows are through some of the things that are built out in full story. So definitely our integrations come to mind. Full Story has partnerships across all sorts of different tools through our integrations. Things like Optimizely or Dynamic Yield, that allows brands to be able to surface those insights across all the tools they're using. And so the data that they're looking at in each of those tools all talk to each other and make sense across those. And that lets them more immediately optimize and adapt to those customer needs and preferences and struggles. Tactically, some of the ways that happens, there's all sorts of reporting in Full story that you can automate alerts. Hey, if this bumps above a threshold that we're uncomfortable with, send us an alert in Slack or create a JIRA ticket that we can dive into with our dev team, right? So that's one way it's coming into workflows. But the most important part is just making sure all those tools talk to each other and that they understand they're comparing apples to apples across those data sets. And then especially things like A-B testing and tools like that, if those data points are aligned and integrated in a seamless way, then when you're quickly iterating, you can use that valuable qualitative and quantitative data from Full Story to move quick and make those decisions, right? Retailers are facing those same questions. What do I need to prioritize? What's going to make the most impact? And then what do my competitors have that I don't? And do I need to build it, right? And the only way to kind of start tackling that is through the iteration. We're working with Carvana's product team, and they wanted to make their search bar more functional and user-friendly. And so they had half a dozen iterations of different layouts that they wanted to test out. And they threw them all into a test real quick and were able to do a balance of qualitatively watching sessions and really understanding how users were interacting with that with quantitatively just 
how long did it, what was the time to convert on these funnels that they were interested in through search? What was the click-through rate for search to the intended action, right? So balancing that qualitative and quantitative, they were able to confirm the success of one of those tests and launch it uh, more broadly. Ultimately, the changes that that team made was a 5% increase in what they call locks, which is cars reserved by customers for checkout, which is I mean, 5%, that's magic for them, right? And being able to do that iteratively and quickly and operationalize it across all their tools in their tech stack makes that possible. One thing I want to layer in here where Elizabeth doesn't give herself and her team sometimes as much credit as they deserve, something that in particular, whether it's a full story or some other solution, but the types of insights that are available here are so important across teams. And one of the things that I think is important in that kind of creating customer success is ensuring that we're evangelizing and that our customer is able to evangelize it across teams. Some of our most successful clients have three, four, 500 users, and they're not all analysts, right? They're UX professionals, PMs, testing professionals, BI, data analysts, right? And that ability to get cross-functional data so that everyone has that consistent feeling of empathy is super important, especially if you're trying to convince an executive I think we need to make this change and we need to make it before holiday shopping begins. Sometimes if you haven't, like if that executive, you know, just hears about it, that's one thing. If that executive both sees the data and maybe watches one of those cringe worthy sessions, you get prioritization done real fast. And I think that cross-functional nature, regardless of what insights you're using is so important for retailers to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I think being able to democratize that information and get everyone rallied around the goal, the ultimate goal, which is to improve that customer experience. That's really key. So thank you, Elizabeth, for walking through some of those tactical applications of what those workflows look like. It's, it's really helpful to see how it comes into action and what that may look like on a day-to-day basis. But before we close out our conversation today with some takeaways, I do want to ask, obviously the focus of today's conversation was around the digital experience, which the bars have been raised on that. So I think we've covered a lot of ground in terms of priorities, considerations, ways to use data in a more meaningful way. But I'm wondering how some of the concepts, trends, best practices we've talked about today parlay into this broader omni-channel conversation that we're having, because obviously people are going back into stores. We are going to be thinking through things like holiday and what the future of the store looks like, yada, yada. We're not going to get too deep into it, but I'm wondering how this data, this insight and context can maybe even translate to the store experience, if at all. I mean, I I would love for you to kind of steer me where where you want to go with it. But as we talk about the synergy between all these different channels or components of the customer experience, like how that translation or that transition happens. Yeah, I think we believe there is a very strong need for this type of insight as it crosses over. And it certainly, we don't think DXI is going to help you figure out exactly how to merchandise on your shelves necessarily, right? That likely still has a very different in-store experience. But what we do know is the retail experience in-store is going to change. Stores are already beginning to serve a little bit of a different function. I think the concept of showrooming, right? That was a term, what, 
10, 15 years ago, it started. Oh yeah. Here, right? You're yeah. dating me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've been in e-commerce a long time too, but that is just accelerating. We may call it something different at this point, but right. Leading in store experiences are going to have a very important digital component and mobile will likely become a much more active companion, if you will. And, and we have to all better understand how different segments of consumers behave in store using apps versus maybe offline somewhere else using an app. You know, it's funny, despite their massive popularity in Asia for the longest time, right? QR codes never quite made it in North America until COVID, right? They had seen modest adoption. And when the pandemic basically meant you couldn't have regular paper menus, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. QR codes kind of became a must-have in a variety of different in-person, in-real-life experiences. Uh, We even were talking with the CMO CTO of Modloft, They implemented QR codes during the pandemic as a way for consumers to basically get more touchless transactions in furniture shopping. I mean, who thinks about furniture shopping and touchless transactions? It is not the place I would have gone, but as they observed what people wanted to do in their stores, they were like, I don't really want to touch your point of sale system. I don't want to hand you money. I don't, I don't want to. And they found a way to adapt. Um, There was a different one, not retail, but easily could be adapted some hospitals and and a hospital leader we talked to, they implemented QR codes around wayfinding, right? So that they wouldn't constantly have to reprint signage. I know I was recently at a pet's food store and I was already committed to buying from this local food store because I want to give them business, but I needed some ratings and reviews on which of these cat hairball products was going to be the best one. So I did my digital shopping right there. And one of their agents sort of came up to me and said, Hey, can I help you? It's like, well, do you know which one of these is the best? They're like, no, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm looking at reviews online because it's helpful. And I think our ability to start to understand that context and behavior across stores and in mobile, because people will go back to the stores, but they've also 81% have said they're going to increase digital shopping and there will be some overlap between those two. And, and DXI really can serve as part of the glue that holds those brands together, whether shoppers are online or not. Yeah, a lot of really great points. And I could imagine too that this insight could be super valuable for fulfillment offerings. Like I know sometimes depending on the store, it's not very clear where to go for in-store pickup. It's not clear if curbside pickup is available and if it is, where to go. So I think understanding those journeys and figuring out where those possible gaps are could be super valuable because I think Omni Fulfillment is only going to continue to evolve and, and expand. So yeah, definitely a lot of really interesting use cases there, especially through the lens of the role of mobile in the store experience. But sadly, we are at our time together. I feel like we can go on and on and on. There are so many things to unpack in this area. So thank you both so much for taking the time. Before I let you go though, I always try to close out these conversations with some takeaways, closing tips, calls to action. Maybe this conversation is going to be running probably in prime holiday planning mode. So is there Anything that you would like to spotlight for our listeners now in terms of how to best prioritize their plans, how to get moving forward with a more data-driven approach? I'll leave the floor to both of you to share any closing thoughts today. Yeah, I'll chime in first. So for this one, I'll tie in our full story watchwords for my response. So we have three that we live and breathe by. First is clarity, and then empathy, 
and bionics. And we've talked a little bit about empathy and how Full Story can help with that. But the first kind of suggestion of, of how to even get started here is to be empathetic to your user's digital experience. Nobody wants to struggle with a purchase online, but yet there are plenty of examples out there of that happening. So watch their experience, understand and know their experience and really feel the frustration of their journey and let that empathy building experience motivate your improvements. Second, with clarity, this is where some of that quantitative data comes in, right? So quantify those learnings with clarity and to how you're going to improve that digital experience. How many people had that same frustrating experience? Is it correlated with a drop in conversions? Is it happening with a specific browser? All of those help to bring clarity to what you're going to do and use that vast data at your fingertips to find, find the trends and get clarity on where, the, where to prioritize uh, changes. And then lastly, bionics, it's kind of the funniest of the three, but we think about this as like, where are there places to create automation or processes to keep momentum behind those improvements, creating alerts for spikes in those frustrating experiences or dips in conversions, configuring integrations between tools to get all of your tools and teams speaking the same language, build organizational habits around testing and iteration to keep improvements to the digital experience top of mind for you and for your end users. Yeah. I'll maybe capstone it with one other thing. It's like, stay humble and be curious, right? We are in an era when there are modern new metrics that tell us not just what, but why, and data is at the heart of that success. So you're going to lose ground if you only collect data to solve the problems you already identified. So stay humble, stay curious, and put yourself in the shoes of your customers. Love it. What a way to close out. Elizabeth Kirsten, thank you again so much for taking the time out, for sharing some very meaningful data with us today, really digging into the value of DXI and really some key priorities and I think takeaways for everyone listening today. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed being here with you, Alicia. Yeah, thanks for having us. And to all of you listening now, I hope our conversation gave you some great ideas and inspiration, especially as you get your plans in motion for the holiday season. If you liked what you heard, I hope you did. Drop us a line, drop us a comment on your preferred podcast player. We'd love to hear from you or through social media at our touch points on Twitter or retail touch points through LinkedIn and show your love by subscribing. It helps us ensure that we're creating the best, most relevant content for you and it helps helps you make sure that you get new episodes as soon as they're available every week. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.